0: You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. And we do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are grateful to be in your presence this morning, and we thank you, Lord God, for your word which is just as relevant and real and active as it, today as it was when it was first written. We ask now, Lord God, that you would give us soft hearts and open ears, that we would hear what you want us to hear, and that we would respond with all of who we are. We ask too, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to be with you on this first Sunday of our summer schedule. Um, and with this being the first Sunday of our summer schedule, this means we are starting a new sermon series um, that will be obviously starting today and running through the middle of August. And this sermon series is called Pointing to the Promise. Now, if Any of you have ever been hiking, you've probably learned to one degree or another how to read trail markers, right? What happens you get to where you're going to be hiking at the trailhead, there is usually a map with different colors that indicate different trails that you can take that will get you to the destination that you desire. These trail markers, they're signs, they're pointers. They are giving you the directions to your ultimate destination, which is the summit. In the same way, the Old Testament is full of signposts. It's full of trail markers that are pointing us to the ultimate summit. This is because the the Bible, it's not just 66 random books brought together with interesting stories and great wisdom and poetry and, and words of encouragement, but it is one unified story. It is one big story heading towards a specific destination. It's the story of the redemption of God's good world and the coming of the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom's king, Jesus himself. And so all along the way, we have stories in the Old Testament that showed God's people what the kingdom would be like. It helped them get excited actually about what God was doing. It assured them also that they were still on the right trail and we need that because so often we wonder what trail we're really on. And all of these stories, they point to the promise. And so this summer, we're revisiting some classic Old Testament stories, stories that may be familiar to many of us. But as we look at these stories, we're gonna discover what they can show us about Jesus and his kingdom. And so today we're beginning this series looking at the start of the story of Abraham. Our scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. You can read along in your Bible, you can open up an app, or you can just listen. But hear God's word. The Lord said to Abram, "'Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing.'" I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Now maybe some of you or even many of you are familiar with or you've heard us talk about the four-chapter gospel. What what it is quickly is it's the story that is told through all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's the redemptive narrative that we see in Scripture and that Pastor Tim Keller calls the ultimate story story of significance. And what this four-chapter gospel does is it helps us see the gospel as being more than just fire insurance or a ticket to heaven. It shows us how we can live our lives in light of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do. And in this four-chapter gospel story, we see these chapters broken down into these these different sections. We have creation, creation, We have the fall, we have redemption and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. In creation, we see that God created everything and it was very good. But then we have the fall where sin enters the world and humanity and creation's relationship with God is broken. Things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. But in chapter three, we have redemption and we see this most clearly in the story of Jesus, but we get signposts through all of scripture that point to this redemptive chapter. And even in that, we then have signposts to the fourth chapter, the restoration, where in restoration, which we see in Revelation 21 and 22, God makes things the way they are supposed to be. Things will be restored, things will be renewed. And this understanding of the gospel can help us live our lives working along with what God leads us to do as he looks to make all things new. And in the book of Genesis, we see very clearly chapter one of the four-chapter gospel. And we see very clearly chapter two play out. And we see pointers to chapter three and chapter four. And there is no other book in the Bible that actually has such clear delineation, clear demonstration of each of these chapters like the book of Genesis does. And so, as we think about Genesis chapter 12, we can look at this chapter as a turning point, a linchpin chapter in the story of the four-chapter gospel. Up until this point in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we have the, the broad history of all of humanity. We see, again, creation, God making everything good, but then we see the fall. And when the fall happens, things just seem to get worse and worse. That's how Genesis 3 through 11 builds. Adam and Eve are cast out of God's presence. We have Cain who kills Abel. There's violence. There's self-glorification. There's idolatry and depravity. It looks like humanity, all people, are just running away from God. They're certainly moving away from him. But in Genesis 12, we see that God continues to pursue humanity that he reaches out to human beings despite their sin, despite their running away. God reaches out because he loves his creation. And he does this by reaching out to one man. And in our text, he was called Abram. Through this message, I'll be referring to him as Abraham um, just to avoid any confusion um, here. But God reaches out to Abraham. And as he does this, he shows him, God shows himself to be a promise-making, and a promise-keeping God. He makes a specific promise to Abraham, but in this specific promise to Abraham, there, are, there is inter, intimately linked the promise, the ultimate promise of the redemption of all things. So we have two promises at work here together. We have God's ultimate promise of the redemption of all of humanity, all of creation, and we have the specific promise made to Abraham. And so as we think about these promises of God, I want us to think about the particulars of the promise, our participation in the promise, and then the power of the promise. My English teacher told me um, that I should always avoid awkward alliterations, but I hope that this alliteration of all the Ps helps us remember how great the promise of God truly is. So let's think about the particulars of the promise. Now, first off, I wanna say all of us have made promises. Some of them have been very small promises, like I promise I'll take out the trash or I promise I'll clean my room, to very big promises, like like taking wedding vows. We've made big promises, we've made small promises. And it doesn't matter how big or how small these promises are, what we do when we make a promise is we are saying, I am going to do what I have said I will do. It's it's pretty simple um, in what a promise is. What was interesting, though, is I, uh, I went to Google, you know, a very holy research thing for sermons, um, and I just put in promise to get a definition. And with every definition, they give you a context sentence that, that the word would be used in. And what I found really interesting was that this was the context sentence. What happened to all those firm promises of support? And as I read that, it struck me that the the sentence to demonstrate how promise is to be used in context actually indicates that promises were broken. So it was, it was almost the opposite of what a promise is. This context sentence from Google, a source that many, many people use, was indicating as if to say there is an expectation that promises are meant to be broken. And sadly, we know that to be true. We've probably all been on the receiving end of a broken promise, and we've probably all been on the side of breaking a promise. Again, some big, some small. But all of us know what breaking a promise is like. There's not one of us here who can say we have never broken a promise. But God can say that. God has never broken a promise. He's a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. I love the way Numbers twenty-three, nineteen puts it. It says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? It's a rhetorical question, but of course, God keeps his promises. This is who he is. This is what he does. But I know for some of us here, that's really hard to believe right now because in our lives, things haven't gone the way we've hoped they have gone. We've gotten diagnoses that have shaken us. Life has just been harder than we had hoped. Family struggles, job struggles, difficulties in all aspects of our lives. We see the brokenness in our world, the the smoke from the fires, the shootings at graduations, the violence that is so prevalent In our society, it is hard to believe that God is a promise-keeping God when we see the brokenness displayed like this. But that's why this series is so important this summer, because we see signposts that point to the ultimate promise of the restoration of all things, showing God to be true to his word, that he is a promise-keeping God, and that he's been pointing to the restoration of all things from the very beginning. And so as we think about particulars of the promise, one of the ones that we can think about is that when God makes a promise, it's an all-encompassing promise. It's made not just for the benefit of some people or even one person as our story today is about Abraham, but it's for all of creation, for all of humanity, for all who believe. In the ultimate promise of the restoration of all things, all things covers everything. And for Abraham, He's to be a blessing to all people, not just himself, not just his family, not just his people group, but all people will be blessed through him. And in each of the stories that we're going to be looking at this summer, God's overarching promises, all-encompassing promise is there in those stories, and it's pointed to in the smaller promises that God makes to each of the individuals we'll be looking at. So, when God makes a promise, it's an all encompassing, overarching promise. That's one particular. Another particular is that it's God who is the promise maker, it's God who's the promise keeper. The promise to Abraham takes place in two verses. And in those two verses, God says, I will five times. It doesn't get much clearer than that. For God to say, I will, that many times, he is telling Abraham, he's telling us that he is the one who is making the promise. He's the one who's going to keep the promise. But as we continue to read the story of Abraham, he often seems to forget that this is true, that it's God who makes the promise. It's God who fulfills the promise. In fact, starting in verse 10, right after the scripture we read this morning, Abraham moves to Egypt, And he then lies to Pharaoh to protect himself and protect his wife and his family. He does this because he was not trusting fully in God. He had already forgotten that God was the promise-making God. And before we point fingers at Abraham and judge him severely, we need to ask ourselves, how often do we do the same thing? That we forget that God will do what he says he's going to do that we forget that God is good and is always working for our good and for his glory. So often we take matters into our own hands like Abraham does throughout his story. We even ignore God's leading. We ignore his guiding. We ignore his calling in our lives. And God knows this about us. And you know what's so wonderful is that he continues to be faithful to us, to his promise, to love us, and he pursues us. And he eventually gets us to where he wants us to be. And this is the third particular of the promise of God. It's always by his grace. I mean, have you ever stopped to think, why did God choose Abraham? I mean, of all the people in the world at the time, why, why Abraham? We actually don't know a whole lot about Abraham at this point. We know probably he was like any other man in that time. And that probably meant he was an idolater, that he worshiped the moon, he worshiped fake gods. He did what the people around him did. He didn't believe in the true God. He didn't know the true God. So why did God choose him? It was because of his grace. God made this promise of blessing to him because God is a God of grace. And it's by and through God's grace that Abraham would be blessed. He's promised to be a great nation, that he'll have offspring, which for a 75-year-old man who had no children at that time, that was a remarkable promise. He was promised a great name that his legacy would live on. And we see God kept that promise as even today, we still look to Abraham as a father in our faith. He was promised protection that those who blessed him would be blessed and the ones who curse him would be cursed. And so for Abraham and for people in that time, those were highly sought after and desired things. From a personal standpoint, Abraham was feeling the tremendous blessing of this promise. But the blessing was for more than just Abraham, it was for more than just his family. It was for all people. And that means the land, the protection, the wealth, the reputation. That is not the true blessing of God. The true blessing that God gave to Abraham was his presence. In Genesis chapter one and two, we're told that Adam and Eve walked with God. They experienced his presence in a full and complete way. In Genesis three, when sin entered the world though, they were separated from God. They were cast out of the garden. And we have inherited that separation from God through original sin. And God can have nothing to do with sin. Yet here we see God again coming to Abraham, clearly stating that he will be in relationship with him and gives him the promise of blessing. And we see Abraham then make a point to be in the presence of God. That's why he built those two altars. Altars were places where God's presence was, where Abraham encountered God. They were places of worship. And so what that means is that Abraham experienced God's presence like few people before him had ever experienced. This was the blessing that Abraham was to share with all people, God's presence. And God enabled that to happen through Jesus and by his spirit. And we know that Jesus comes through Abraham's family line. God's presence was made known to the world through Jesus. And we've been given God's presence by Jesus through his spirit. So what was true for Abraham is true for us. So how then do we participate in this promise? I think probably one of the first things I know that I have to do and probably many of us here need to do is we need to redefine what blessing really is, right? While God has and does bless us with material things, there's so much more to a blessing than being comfortable and having the things that we want. The things that we would post with hashtag blessed are not what God truly intended for our blessing. They don't capture the true nature of God's blessing. In fact, in Hebrew, To be blessed meant to experience fulfillment, deep fulfillment. And this only comes through a right relationship with God, with his presence in our lives. So wealth, fame, success, comfort, anything that we strive for will always leave us wanting more. They're not bad things in and of themselves, but they cannot satisfy. They cannot give us the deep fulfillment that God's presence brings. His presence brings satisfaction, peace, and flourishing. And again, quoting Tim Keller, the blessing that we're looking for is in the face of God. Now, to be fair, God does give us the blessing of time, talent, and treasure. He has given us those things, again, not just to keep for ourselves, but so that we can use them to be a blessing to others, so that other people can experience the flourishing of God. So if you're a Christian here today, you have the blessing of God's presence right now. And this blessing is for you and for others. It's a blessing that's meant to be shared. And that means that to participate in the promise of God and the blessing that he's given is that you have to take action. We have to take action steps. And those action steps will look different for each of us, but there is no way around the fact that God's blessing and promise demands action. For Abraham, that meant leaving his country, his people, and his father's house. Now, those steps, they were not easy steps to take. He had to leave behind significant identity markers for himself, things that brought comfort and security, but he still went. And while he had his missteps when he went, the Bible is very clear about that, as he took action in response to God's promise, his faith grew. His relationship with God grew. The depth of his understanding of God's presence with him deepened. And again, what was true for Abraham? It's true for us. Deepening our relationship with God, growing in our understanding of his presence with us, that requires action. And yes, some of those steps might be difficult. Giving of our our time, giving of our talent, giving of our treasure things that we hold on to tightly for comfort and security, giving of those for others, that's gonna push us out of our comfort zone. But maybe God is calling you to something else. Maybe he's calling you to risk your reputation or even risk a relationship by talking about faith with a friend or a coworker or standing up for what God calls us to stand up to when the society around us is going in the opposite direction. Whatever it might be, In all of those things, God has blessed you with his presence. And as you take those action steps to engage in God's promise and blessing, he'll reveal himself more to you. He'll reveal himself more to us as his community of people, and he will bring even greater fulfillment in him. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, or you're not sure where you are in relationship with God, know that he wants you to be blessed. He wants you to experience his love and his grace. He wants you to experience the fulfillment that can only come through him. God may even right now be leading you to take a step to be blessed by him, to come into relationship with him, to begin that with him. And if that's where you are today, if you are finding yourself saying, I want to have this fulfillment that comes from knowing Jesus, please come talk to me or talk to Beth Sprinkle after the service we will be up Um, to pray. And if you're in neither of those places, that's also okay. Just know that God is pursuing you and be on the lookout to see how he may be inviting you to take an action step to know the blessing of his presence in your life. No matter where you are in your relationship to God, taking an action step, taking any kind of step of faith can be scary or intimidating. But as God has promised his presence with us, he's also promised to give us power to take those steps. So we, we can look to the power of God's promise to enable us to take a step of faith with him. Now, I, I know this is true. I, I don't get on social media a whole lot. But for a while, when I was on social media, I would see people posting pictures of their dinner. Um, usually, this was a while ago, I haven't been on social media. I don't know if people still do that even. But I always wondered, why was it that people posted pictures of very attractive-looking meals? And I, th- I think it gets to something that's true for all of us, not just about food, but about any good thing we experience, whether it's a good book, a good movie, or um, a, g- a great music, a good food, a great restaurant, whatever it is. We put it out there for people to see because we want other people to experience the goodness of whatever it was we're sharing. We do this because we want other people to enjoy how great this is. And so the goodness of whatever it was we experienced causes us to share it with others. Any of the good things that we've experienced and shared in that way, or in any other kind of way that we share things, all of those things pale in comparison to the blessing of God's presence in our lives through Jesus. Now, Abraham, he didn't see Jesus in the promise God had made but he did see the goodness and power of God's promised blessing. And so Abraham went. For Abraham, the promise was so powerful. The blessing was so great that it compelled him to go and to do what God was inviting him to do. Did Abraham fulfill the promise that God had given to him of all people being blessed through him? No, Abraham could not fulfill that promise because Abraham, like us, was a sinner. So there needed to be a greater Abraham to come and fulfill this promise, to make God's presence truly known to all people. And Jesus is that greater Abraham. Like Abraham, Jesus left all that he knew when he came to this world in its sin and in its brokenness. That's where Jesus lived the life that we were meant to live, where he died the death we deserve to die. And he rose from the dead so that we can experience God's presence more fully and more richly as we see the kingdom of God moving forward here today. Jesus came to the world that he created. He was rejected by the people who were made in his image. And when he died, we're told in the gospel of Mark that the temple curtain was torn in two, showing us that the separation between God and man had been removed and God's presence was with his people. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus gave to us, we can believe, we can have faith that God will keep his promise. And through faith, we can fulfill God's invitation to be a blessing to the world. All of scripture tells the story of the four chapter gospel. We're living in chapter three with signposts clearly pointing to chapter four when Jesus will return and make all things new. And until that day then, May we be people who recognize the blessing of God's presence with us and by the power of the Holy Spirit be a blessing to those around us by making God's presence known to them. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would bless us with the strength of faith to make your presence known to others. Lord, we know we can't do it on our own. That's why we thank you that you are the one who is the promise maker and promise keeper. May we rely on that. May we trust in that. And as we take action steps, Lord, may our relationship with you deepen, our understanding of your presence with us grow. And may people come to know you, not because we're doing such a great job, but because you are such a great God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.